so good to be with you guys this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about grace and forgiveness. I want to put in a plug for this class that we're starting called Unstuck. Um, if you've ever felt like you've hit a, a spiritual plateau or a roadblock or just like, you know, you've gone so far and you 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 want to know, is there more? Why, why am I not experiencing more? You need to be a part of this class. Uh, this class will help to get you back in a trajectory of transforming your life from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Because that's what it's all about. It's becoming more like him. And uh, it's not about trying harder and uh, working harder and doing more. It's about living a life fully submitted to his plans, his purposes, and his ways. You know, in the Old Testament, it said that uh, the children of Israel knew the acts of God. They saw his miracles. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the, the plagues against the Egyptians. But it's interesting, the Bible says that Moses understood God's ways. And so you can observe and say, wow, God did a miracle here. Or I saw that testimony about Linda, that was a miracle. And you can see the acts but until you begin to understand his ways and you become a, a disciple, a disciple is a student, a follower, someone who studies under another to learn from them. Jesus said, come and learn of me. I am meek and lowly. Uh, he said, come and learn of me. And so we're on a, a journey, all of us, whether you realized it or not when you signed up, <laughs> It wasn't a destination. You hadn't arrived. I kind of thought when I was born again, wow, God, I'm saved. This is it. And it was only to start. It was a long journey, many lessons. And uh, here's the reality. I mean, I was even having a conversation with my wife the last couple of days, and I was talking about this message we're preparing and realizing that I've had this stuff in my heart, you know, that, uh, that I have to deal with, the, you know, Offenses always come your way. They always come your way. And I don't care who you are, the opportunity to be offended will come your way. And, you know, you can be working, trying to do something, trying to do the right thing, and then you get criticized. And it's the invitation, there's the, the enemy puts out an invitation, take offense. You know, and as Tam and I were talking earlier, on a different level, God's saying, can you have empathy and compassion to understand where someone's coming from so that you can step into their shoes and begin to pray for them? Not that what they may have said was not offensive or whatever, but if you're truly unoffendable, then all of a sudden you can see past the surface. Sometimes we get, we get stuck on the surface. Okay.
So despite a lot of many great teachings over the years, a lot of Christians uh, still get a little bit confused and mystified over the subject of grace. Grace is one of the most awesome things that God ever bestowed upon you and I. Uh, but even though he's given us this awesome gift, grace is God's unmerited favor, his forgiveness, who wipes away all of our sins, treats it like it never happened. It empowers us to live a life unto Christ. Uh, it's this amazing thing. Many of us still fail to live um, taking advantage of uh, the fullness that, that Christ offers us through his finished work on the cross. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. I want to read verses 8 and 9. This is kind of the, the foundation of grace. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. And that not of yourselves, nothing you've done about it. It's a free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast as if they had accomplished something. The English word for grace is derived from uh, the Greek word charis, or charis. Uh, we get the word charity. Um, it's, it's, it's a gift given to someone who is undeserving in the sense that they cannot do anything to earn the gift. All they can do is just receive it. It's charity. Sometimes you, you might hear someone say, I don't want your charity. That's pride. Um, but, you know, it's like it's, it's helping that person who has no way of being able to pay you back. You know, it's easy to, to lend or to do something for someone who's going to turn around and treat you in like manner. Um, but when you give something that there's absolutely no way they can pay you back, it's a different story. And that's grace. And that's what he did for us. Many people are still trapped in a performance theology. We have this theology that... and. I say theology, but I think a lot of it is culture, upbringing, uh, relationship with your parents, with authority figures. Uh, it's, you know, being in New York, it's, it's like a performance culture. Uh, so we, we kind of take that all in from the culture, from it could be in your family, could be where you work, going to school, uh, just so many different things. But... If I perform well, then I get the accolades of people. You know, from the time you were a child, your, your parents are pleased. <laughs> I did, you know, I behaved well. They were, they were happy with me. They gave me their praise when I did poorly. They frowned on me. And, and it was all about performance, right? So you, you, you learn when I do good, I feel good because people say my parents, others affirm me. When I don't measure up, uh, you know, you get the frowns, you get the disappointment, and so you develop a performance culture. We live in a performance culture. 
And so when we come to God often, it's just we're, we've been trained in this stuff. It's the, it's the way the world works, that we, we have a similar mentality, like, God, when I do good, you'll like me, and if I do bad, you'll be displeased. <laughs> and so we carry that into our relationship. Uh, and here's, here's the fact of the matter. It doesn't matter. It does not matter how good you are. You can't, God can't love you any more than he already does. He is crazy about you. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. And he wants you with him. He's provided a way for you. And as a matter of fact, he did this. The Bible says when you were still his enemy. Okay, so you're total enemies with God. You're blaspheming. You're doing all of this. And he's giving his only begotten son for you. He's giving his only son. He didn't send an angel. Didn't send somebody else. Didn't accept a sacrificial like a, a lamb or a bull. He sent his son, took on flesh to die for you when you were his enemy. You know, Paul says some might die for a good person. You know, sacrifice yourself for your buddies in a, in a war zone, whatever you like. Someone's got to do this and you might do it for someone you care about. But would you do it for those who hate you? <laughs> who are at enmity, just railing against you. And that's what God did. It says, when we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. This kind of love is, is, is shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Uh, it's hard for us to fathom. So even, even sometimes you get, you get saved in this recognition that I have nothing to offer, but God saves me. And we're like overwhelmed with his love. Unfortunately, many times people then come into the church and they start talking to other people in the church who don't have a full revelation of grace. And then we, get, we, we, we kind of, we become like uh, the religious folks. You know, we, you know, we sort of conform our actions to the way everybody else is instead of growing in the grace of God. Let me continue. God's grace is so unfair. And it's unjust. It's really, it's unjust. God's grace to you and I is, is totally unjust. Why? Because justice would demand that we pay a price. You committed the crime, you do the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in all of our sin and sinfulness and falling short, he took it on himself. He took all the penalty for your sin, your sickness, your disease, every falling short, every, you know, betrayal, all of that. He took it on himself on a cross and, and just loved on us and offered us this free gift of salvation. And when we think about it, it's it, it just... It, it boggles the mind that he would do that. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem fair. I mean, it's, you know, there should be some uh, equity in it, right? Like, you do something, I do something. I, it, there's, there, but we couldn't pay it back. We couldn't pay it back. The unfairness is, uh, is astounding. 
But here's the thing. But in the same way that God lavishly and extravagantly pours out his grace upon us, he's calling us to learn how to show grace to others uh, by forgiving those who truly don't deserve it. Freely you have received, freely give, the Bible says. You know, when you recognize he who's been forgiven much loves much, right? We enter into this love relationship with God. And, and make no mistake about it, this is all about relationship. It's, it's walking in this relationship with God where you understand his immense love for you, that he's absolutely crazy, wild, in love with you. And you receive his grace, and now you want to learn how to walk in it. Because without being able to walk in grace, um, well, let me, let me get into that a little bit. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, beginning at uh, verse 22. Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in, in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, right? Is that what your Bible says? That's what mine says. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. This is a famous faith scripture. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe. Ask believing in faith, and you received it. But there's a big and here. Does everybody see the and? Next verse. Now, what does and mean? And typically means you two things go together. It's a lot of people refer to Bill and Tammy. Kind of, they, they think of us as one in a spirit. We're together, Sal and Jewel, Colt and Vanessa. The and says, well, they're married. They're together. They're kind of one before God. It's, and so and means together, right? Everybody with me? Okay. So. It says, when you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be done for you. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Wow. It's a big end. It goes together with this faith. It's a very important principle that we all need to learn. Jesus said you can have whatever you want when you pray if you believe. But, by the way, if you have anything against anyone, you better forgive them. Because that issue can completely short-circuit your faith. Completely short-circuit your faith. A-N-D. There are two distinct realms we can walk in in which believers live out their faith. Depending on the choices you make, you can either live 
on the justice level of life, or you can live on the grace level. Now, justice isn't a bad thing. Like, we, you need civil justice. We need to live in a society that's just, that's fair, that's equitable. Um, but in the kingdom, if we just, if we want to stay in this justice level, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, everything is perfectly equal, you know, if you sin, you must be punished, on and on. If we live in that level, then, you know, then we're going to be held to that standard. The devil loves it, you know, he, the devil loved the law. He, you know, he, he, it says sin became exceedingly sinful because of the law, because it became obvious. You know, the law was, was there even before Moses because it, it said people were aware of right and wrong. But with Moses, they, we actually put it on stone tablets. And we sort of laid out what the law was. And nobody could fulfill the law. I mean, we just, you fell short. Everyone, every man fell short. So we can live in this, in this justice level where um, it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If I fall short, I have to suffer the, the you know, <clears throat> the consequences of my sin. Or we can live in grace, where Jesus took all of it on the cross, washed it away in his blood, and now we, he's given us a new heart. In Jeremiah um, 31, 33, Jeremiah said, he prophesied that God would write a new covenant, one that would exist not on stone tablets like the old one, but one that would be written on the hearts of men and women. He said he, he, said he would take out your old name. He said he would... He would give us a new nature, that we would be born again. New creatures. The old has passed away. All, all things have become new. And then we get to walk out in God's grace. But here's the thing. As we're walking it out, we're in a culture and a society. We've had a way of thinking. And often we kind of trade back into an old, old dynamics. And these old dynamics can cause you to trip and stumble and if you don't start to recognize what's happening, you get stuck. You get stuck. In the grace level, in this place, in the place of grace, you have the river of God flows through your life. It's a river of blessing, healing. The impossible becomes possible. We just talked about the scripture of you can say to this mountain, be, be removed and cast into the sea. And if you believe in your heart that God will do it, and if you have anything against anybody else, you forgive them, right? You'll start to see the power. Unforgiveness in the kingdom under grace is like the biggest blocker. It's the biggest grace blocker. And... Uh, as you walk it out, God will start to show you areas where you need to be his disciple, come under his tutelage, and recognize even if you're Pastor Bill, 40 years walking <laughs> with the Lord, you say, oh my, I missed it on this one. Just areas. Areas where, you know, like... My biggest thing is 
learning to receive words from others without somehow taking it um, not in a positive way. You know, it could be criticism or it could just be an instruction or it, it could be, you know, it could be, criticism is one thing, you know, and then you have to say, all right, God, what are you saying in the midst of this? Often when people come and criticize, we get offended. Or at least I'm working on it. <laughs> when I get criticized, I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know. You know, and then God's saying, is there truth in it? Where's this other person coming from? Can you, can you approach things with an, with an empathy that will give you insight into what's going on? Sometimes people come and say something to you, and it has almost nothing to do with what they just said to you. But there's some deep hurt in their lives. And if you're just thinking about yourself, see, see the self is the killer. When we're focused on ourselves and we're full of ourselves, then we can't see past ourselves. And so we can't see what's happening in the midst of someone sharing something with you that feels like criticism, but what they're saying is, I'm so full of pain. I'm so hurt. And all we're feeling is what they just said to us and just not see, knowing that, wait, this is coming from something much deeper. And if we could learn that, it could shift everything. When we accept God's grace, we're rescued from, by the, the great rescuer, Jesus, our Savior. We move from being nowhere, like completely separated from God, uh, to occupying this incredibly privileged position in Christ. We, we're in him. You know, we, he's, he's brought us into the fellowship, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm in him, he's in me. It's this great mystery, John 17, unity, that I'm still trying to understand, but it's, we're all, we all get wrapped up together in this unity. As a matter of fact, the best example that God gives us is, the, is, is uh, in human terms, is, is the marriage, right? Paul says, I tell you a great mystery. You know, it's the, when the two become one, it's like Christ and his church. It's, it's, a, it's a marriage. It's a communion of two becoming one. And so in our lives, we, you know, we, 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 op, we observe good marriages. Sometimes there's some bad marriages. But we, when you see a good marriage, it's really an, ex, an example of Christ and his church. Two becoming one, moving in unity, caring, loving, honoring one another, and moving forward in a life that God's called them to, that's what he wants us to have with him. We walk with God in this marriage covenant, this union. You know, a lot of the contemplatives, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, they, they aspired unto union with God. And uh, it's something I've, I haven't even scratched the surface of, but just understanding this, that we can walk in this total communion with God all the time. And uh, just an amazing thing. Anyway, here's the problem. So we've entered into this, we move from nowhere occupant, in, into this great privilege with Christ, and all we did, we simply believed, right? We believe in him, we receive him as savior, 
and we enter into this covenantal relationship. God didn't require us to climb a mountain, swim an ocean. He just freely gave it to us. His grace was given to us freely. But now he calls us. He calls us into something amazing. As soon as we begin to talk about the free gift of God's grace, the issue of sin and how we handle it raises its ugly head. Sin takes many forms, but it, in every case, the root of it is selfishness. Sin is me doing something out of lust, greed, or arrogance, usually at someone else's expense. It wounds that person. It wounds the heart of God. And here's the thing. I, I suspect maybe, maybe you're like me. We tend to minimize our own sin. But, we, uh, but when we sin against others or when others sin against us, we tend to magnify that. Like our, our own, wait, you shouldn't have done that to me. That was wrong. And that becomes a big deal. But when we sin, it's, oh, have mercy, have grace. It's, it's the old double standard. We want mercy from God and others for all that we've done wrong, but we want justice for everyone else. That's, that's a big one. Mercy for me, but justice for others. It doesn't work that way. You freely receive grace, freely you must give grace. Okay, turn to me to math, math, turn with me to Matthew 18, beginning of verse 21. I'm reading from the NIV this time. Matthew 18, beginning of verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, how many are watching The Chosen? It's, it's amazing. You know, it, you know what I love about The Chosen is it kind of makes everybody real. <laughs> you know, I, th I think sometimes, maybe, maybe not you, maybe just me, you read the Bible and you picture these guys. It's like they walk around with the halos. I used to see the pictures. They had, all had halos and, <laughs> you know, they were just super holy Chosen kind of makes them real, and the scripture makes them real too, by the way. But um, <clears throat> And so you see, and I, I, I think Peter's looking, watching Jesus. He sees how he is with Mary Magdalene, whom he cast out seven demons, you know, and then he, he watches, you know, Jesus talking with the Pharisee, and he lets uh, this woman who was, uh, <coughs> you know, in the sex trafficking industry, and she was washing his, her, Jesus' feet with her hair, and like he's observing his, 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 Jesus walking in mercy and grace and forgiveness to, toward everyone. So, you know, Peter's a good Jew, and he's a disciple, and he's trying to, how many times are we supposed to forgive? <clears throat> like, uh, seven times seems like a perfect number. God created the earth in seven days. You know, seven is a number that kind of pops up in scriptures a lot. Maybe it's seven times. So he asked Jesus, how many, seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I think Peter's jaw dropped. Wait a minute. 
if someone sins against me, I forgive them. Then they do it again. I forgive them. Then there's a third time. And I forgive them. But come on, like, maybe baseball wasn't invented yet, but everybody knows, three strikes, you're out. <laughs> 70 times seven. I mean, I think he really had to get his head wrapped around this. So then Jesus tells him a parable. Let's continue. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began to settle. And it, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him, and he said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. The master, he's never going to be able to pay this. Just let him go. He had pity on him, cancel the whole debt, just write it off on the books, let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, he owed 10,000 bags of gold. This guy owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, and he began to choke him. <laughs> Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it, and I'll pay it back to you. But he refused. Instead, he went off. And had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they went, <coughs> they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. In other words, the full debt was reinstated, and he would be tortured. <laughs> and then get the, the next scripture. This is scary. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oh, my. There is a way you can step out of grace by not walking in grace. If you want grace... You want to receive God's grace, you have to be willing to say, okay, God, I will freely give your grace. If you want the law, 
You can operate under the law. No one will be justified under the law. But if you want grace, you have to give others grace. If not, the full debt is reinstated. Scary. You know, of course, we know the, uh, the servant should have had mercy on his contemporary and forgiven the debt. What's shocking is, is how the debt that was forgiven is reinstated. Verse 35 is the punchline, that that's how your heavenly father will treat you, just this way. It's a very serious implication for all of us. Uh, can I have mercy for me and justice for you? Well, you don't understand, Bill, what that person did to me. I really, I can't forgive them. Okay. But the problem is then you can't be forgiven. We can have justice or we can have mercy, one or the other, but we can't pick and choose and have both. We can live in God's grace or we can live in his under the law. You know, justice was encapsulated in the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If someone strikes one person blind, the, the Bible said you should put out the other person's eye. The law took the view that the offender should also have his eye put out. In this way, the offended party was compensated for his loss, and the two were put on equal terms. If we want mercy, however, we have to move to a higher plane of operation to live to a higher standard. Under grace, what happens if someone comes and puts out my eye? Or what happens if someone comes along and commits any offensive against me? In a word, nothing. We choose to forgive that person and to leave the issue of justice in the hands of God. It's that simple. What worries most people about forgiving is that somehow they're letting the other person get away with it. It's not true, but that's what you worry about. See, God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he reaps. Staying in grace recognizes I'm not the judge. I freely received grace. I give it. I put all things back to you, God. You're the only righteous judge, not me. So if we want to be children of our Father, we have, to, we have to walk in the grace that he's provided to us. When you respond to hurt or offense by taking revenge, you're playing right into the devil's hand. In, in effect, he's saying, oh, this is great. I love it that you're operating in the law. I'm familiar with the law. I'm a master of the law. By the law, nobody was saved. Nobody was justified. He loves it when you come out of grace and, and put yourself under the law. He, he just, it's just his playground. You want to get, you know, talk about being stuck or have issues. It's when we take ourselves out of grace. Grace is the most amazing thing. It's the most 
awesome thing that, that God ever did on the cross when he wiped away all of the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and freely gave us his unmerited favor, forgiveness, ability to just to live unto God. But he says, now just follow me, learn of me, and walk as I walk. Walk as Jesus walked. Forgiveness is at the absolute center of the Christian life. We simply cannot take forgiveness for ourselves but withhold it from others. Jesus underlines this point immediately after concluding the words in the model prayer, the Our Father. Um, turn with me to Matthew 6. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to go into communion in just a moment. Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. It says, in this manner, not these words, but in this manner. It's a, it, was a, it was a construct, how you ought to approach God. An outline, if you will. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. All these are outlines. Good way to start. Start by praising, worshiping God's name. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then give us this day your daily bread. And verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Very important. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And then immediately in verse 14, he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's another. <laughs> well, you mean if I choose not to forgive, I take myself, basically, I, I feel like you take yourself out of salvation. Like, this is why it's so central to the Christian, forgiveness is at the center of the Christian faith. We receive forgiveness, we give forgiveness. You, it's, it's implicit, it's, it's the heartbeat of the Christian faith. If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. R.T. Kendall once said, the blessing of the Holy Spirit is often in proportion to one's forgiving of others for the hurt and injustice inflicted in their lives. The blessing of the Holy Spirit is often proportional to one's forgiving of others for the hurt and injustice that was inflicted on their lives. Some of you here have been abused, lied about, betrayed, walked over, taken advantage of, 
Some have been hurt by your closest friends. Let down by authority figures. Could be a mom or dad in home let down. Could be authority figures right here in the church. Some of you may feel let down by me. Could be people at work. To be honest, the list is endless. You can hold on to it if you choose to. The Bible says when we hold on to these things, when we rehearse these things, we play them, the scenario back over in our minds. It becomes a root in your heart. It's called a root of bitterness. It's not to say that what was done to you wasn't wrong. It was absolutely wrong. When you let it go and forgive, you're not saying it that was okay. What you're saying is, God, you forgave me. I didn't deserve it. I'm going to likewise forgive others. Not because they deserve it, but I'm going to forgive them because you forgave me. Now I'm a follower of you. Sometimes you're going to find it hard to do it from your heart. You won't feel it like emotionally you're still seething inside. Do it from your head until it goes down into your heart. Take a step, it's a step of faith. Say, God, I forgive him. You can still, listen, I'm not saying it wasn't hurt. I'm not saying it wasn't wrong. I'm not saying you don't feel pain. But what you're going to say is, God, forgive them. Carol Arnott told an amazing story. She had such difficulty with her mom all her life. Her mom was very abusive toward her. But it wasn't until later as she was a Christian and she was trying to understand because she was afraid of her mom because her mom was always angry and lashing out and abusive. And uh, she started, after she'd become a Christian and she was seeking her own healing, she said uh, she started making inquiry to some of her aunts and uncles what was her mother's upbringing. And it turned out it was, you know, during, I guess, World War II and family was barely making it. And the mother had to, her mother's mother had to go to work and left her in the care of four or five other siblings who would uh, lock her in a closet if she was acting up or whatever and just didn't protect her really. And it was abusive. And all of that pain was just stored up and never dealt with. And so it came out on others came out on Carol for years. It wasn't until Carol took the time to really try to understand where this was coming from and stopped, took her focus off what her mother had done to her. You did this to me, this hurt me, and started trying to understand and saw past what was done to her and 
started realizing the pain and anguish that her mother had gone through that brought her to a place that she acted out this way, that she could have real compassion. And, you know, not only did Carol get healing, but then her mother started to get healing. These testimonies go on and on. 